everybody, and welcome to the 365th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that has twice the hosts at half the cost in every pack. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello everyone, as always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments this week, but before we do, I want to remind listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on the agenda this week? We've got four segments to get into. We're going to start off with a pair of uh, challenges, both in Modern and Pioneer. Segment two has the top paper movers and then the top online movers for cards that suddenly got expensive. In segment three, you and I have some picks, and also we've got a Discord reader pick. And then at the end, we're going to wrap it up with segment four, talking about early pricing for Lord of the Rings and Commander Masters. Sounds good. Let's dive right in here on the metagame week in review. Overall. From the Modern Challenge on February 24th, this past Friday, uh, we had pretty straightforward set of decks and then a couple real spicy ones. Blue-Red Murktide took the whole thing down in first. We had Living End making a sporadic appearance in second. Blue-Red Murktide again in fourth. Creativity Combo in sixth. And Shardless Footfalls in seventh. In third, we had the second top eight appearance that I'm aware of, and it might be more, of this mono-white deck that runs four Shining Shoal and four Chancellor of the Annex that a specific streamer has been championing and doing very well with. Uh, Very, very spicy to see mono-white that's not even Stoneforge Mystic-based showing up in Modern. So Chancellor of the Annex is just here to mess with your opponent. It's not like combo protecting or anything where we usually see it it's just probably the best card you could hope to pitch to solitude early on if you need to but uh you know you're never going to get to seven mana with this silly deck so uh, i like just saying your first spell is gonna cost you that one extra mana and slow you down yeah whenever an opponent casts a spell counter it unless that player pays one well that's if you paid seven mana and it's in play yeah like I right. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get to. You just get to smothering tithe it. Otherwise, you get to uh, manatize uh, their manatize. First spell. Thank you. Yeah. No smothering tithe would be pretty amazing. I'd love to see that in modern too. <laughs> On the back of a creature that reveals for free. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just all, all this does here is provide a speed bump to put them on the back foot. Yep. That's what it turn. looks like. But if you have it a couple free. of them in hand. Uh, yeah, it, it really messes with them because it could be a while before they cast something. That's true, too. Four Solitude never hurts, of course. And if they get Adeline online and start swinging, then the board gets gummed up real fast. Yeah, you got to love uh, Adeline and uh, especially the combo with Thalia's Lieutenant because makes humans and we're all humans. Can't overlook uh, the wonderful combo of Chancellor of the Annex. And to turn to Thalia, just like all your stuff is so expensive. 
I love it. And then Shining Shoal is just uh, marvelous because you're, you're going to pitch it with Chance of the Annex and the next, you know, seven damage that would be dealt to you is dealt to any target instead. Yep, yep, yep. Is it? The, I guess the other thing you can do with Chancellor is dump to Shining Shoal and counter a Fury. You know, a, a game-ending Fury that instead means nothing happens and then on your turn you're swinging and it's probably over. It's better than that because Shining Shoal redirects the damage. So it's not just oh, prevent yeah. the damage. Good, good point. That's true, though, because like with Fury running around all over the place being the bane of creature decks, being able to uh, pitch... Uh, this card, you know, and it costs you no mana. It's not even like the March where you have to pay the white mana to start it. This is just pitch the card, have the fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nasty indeed. So, uh, that was the first of the three sexy decks here. The other one is the Jeskai Norn deck that we saw last week, which is uh, a whole bunch of comes into play creatures that Norn can take advantage of. So you have Timeless Dragons. We talked about the cool interactions there. Uh, last week, four Solitude here as well, four Ragavan, four Fury, of course, three Season Pyromancer, three Fable the Beer Breaker, four Lightning Bolt, three March of Otherworldly Light, a Teferi Time Raveler to shut down interaction, and three Prismatic Ending. So that deck continues to do well. Certainly worth keeping an eye on the maybe the Timeless Dragon OBFs or something uh, if people start picking up this deck. Creativity combo, of course, we said in sixth, and then Shardless Football is in seventh, and then the eighth place deck. You know, it was only eighth, but still, this is plenty of spice. We have a trash for treasure combo deck here, where they are trash for treasure is a sorcery for three, two, and a red. You have to sack an artifact as part of its casting cost, but then you get to return target artifact from your graveyard to the battlefield. So they use things like Underworld Cookbook and Experimental Synthesizer. And uh, Voldaren Epicure, Scrapwork Mutt, to get uh, artifacts in play and into the yard. And then they dump some combination of Phyrexian Dragon Engine, Sundering Titan, (laughs) wow, Uh, Portal to Phyrexia, or three Graz Unstoppable Juggernaut into the yard and bring it back. Nothing like having a Ragavan in play one turn, and then your opponent drops an experimental synthesizer, and on turn three, they go ahead and trash your treasure or Graz into play, and you have to pick it up and read it because you have no idea what it does unless you've been drafting that <laughs> And it's a 7-5 Juggernaut. All your Juggernauts attack each turn if able. Juggernauts you control can't be blocked by walls, and other creatures you control have base power and toughness 5-3. So all of a sudden, your Goblin Engineer and your Ragavan and your Voldaren Epicure are all 5-3s attacking alongside a 7-5. This is amazing. I love the Goblin Engineer <laughs> tech to make sure that you're uh, putting exactly the artifact you want in your graveyard because you've got three different silver bullets here in terms of like Graz versus Portal of Phyrexia versus Sundering Titan. Just like a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, we've got a one of uh, artifact land in case you really need it to. Of course, this is an Urza Saga deck. Go find yep, yep. whatever you need there. This is this is beautiful, and I love everything about this. This has got to be a hard deck to play, too. You you calculate wrong, and you are just up a creek. I wouldn't be chasing after Graz step and complete foils quite yet, although they're quite cheap. But maybe some trash for treasure uh, foils might be of interest if this keeps showing up. 
Over in the Pioneer Challenge on February 25th, we had Blue-White Control, Blue-White Spirits, 5-Color Omnath, 2 Mono Green decks in 4th and 5th, Creativity in 6th and 8th, and a Blue-Black Control list, adding a little bit of spice in 7th. All in all, a very standard-looking Pioneer coming out of the Pro Tour in the following week. Yep, uh, I think I'd want to be on more of the control lists with the uh, with the ability to do counter magic to deal with his creativity lists. I just like a control deck better in an unknown field, but I can see where all this is coming from. And I always love seeing tribal decks uh, do well, especially spirits. Moving on over to top paper movers of the week, we can kick things off with Shieldred, the Apocalypse Concept Borderless uh, out of all will be one going from 70 to 90. So early pressure on one of the S tier premium cards uh, reprinted in this set less than a year after its original printings and yet still able to climb the ladder despite having, I don't know, 14 different versions or something at this point. Uh, And still the oil slick ones uh, starting to leak into the market from the complete bundles as well. Uh, I'll be very curious to see how uh, these hold up over the next four to six months seeing heading into the typical price weakness of late summer <clears throat> and see see where this lands. We have Mirror Matrix following up on Mirror EDH Tribal Hype, Darksteel non-foil version going 30 to 42. That's 40% gains. We've got Skrelv Defector Might as a standout rare from All Will Be One going 7 to $10 after going 3 to 7 I believe, the week before. Showing up all over the place in Standard, Pioneer, a little bit of here and there in Modern, I think mostly in Devoted Druid Combo. And uh, that could be a rare to watch. I don't know if this is a $25 Ledger Shredder Fable kind of rare yet or not. No. But, what? <laughs> but it's seeing a lot of four of play. I'm not arguing there's not seeing a lot of play. But, like, Ledger Shredder was, um, is something that just enables all kinds of stuff. Skrelv is super aggressive. Like, it doesn't work. It gives hexproof defensively, but it doesn't give protection protection. It does tap for free or the Tomb Life, but, like... I would be a seller for an in-print rare at $10. That's that's all I'm thinking about. And if it goes up that high, uh, you know, more power to it. Most of the time, I'm 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 in agreement there. I'm, it, but it's a, definitely a card to keep our eyes on. Sure. World Spied Worm out of uh, Return to Ravnica, 10 to 16. Creativity combo. It's a pioneer one of. Uh, I think I'm selling into that. Although... I don't see where this is going to get reprinted anytime soon. Probably a secret layer is the most likely. <clears throat> Mutavault out of M15, 8 to 14. That's on the back of that uh, mono white deck we just talked about in modern using it as a four of, I would imagine. And I think given that that is a one pilot deck for the most part right now, I would definitely lean into that and sell off some Mutavaults if you've had them sitting around. Next, we've got Kodama's Reach, Secret Lair, non-foils, going 50 to, in theory, $88. Though I don't know how uh, well that's been tested yet. This is from the Perfection Cat-focused Secret Lair that was a convention exclusive at the 30th anniversary event in Vegas in October. And I didn't even consider getting somebody to pick these up, despite having seen prior pet-focused Secret Lair products do well when they undersold and get here we are again with speculators and collectors putting pressure on these and driving the prices through the roof. Would you, I mean, clearly if you have any, you're, you're selling like mad. This seller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to look, I'm looking at what TCG just recently sold and it's not like they sold a bunch of copies at once. It's just been like 
one or two a day and it has managed to climb this high. I just think there not enough copies went online. You know, not enough people decided to sell theirs. If they were at the event, they got it and they kept it because they wanted the cats. And lots of other people want cats. I, I admit I was thinking the same thing. Like, this is this is foolishness. But um, we all have the OMG kitties example and now we have another one. But I think it says more to just when a secret lair is convention exclusive, that's probably a sign we should get in. Well, I also think, yeah, I, I think that time-boxed availability and geographically limited availability certainly has something to do with it. These are also very expensive in Japan, for instance. Um, but it's also about certain kinds of secret layers don't appeal to vendors as much as they do to pet owners. And pet owners aren't necessarily, don't necessarily have a strong Venn diagram overlap with people that are right on the ball in terms of what go, what's going on. It would be a, you know, a spread of, of levels of interest and engagement with the brand. So it's entirely possible that the vendors pass on it because it looks silly, but that there's actually a lot more latent demand, trailing demand than they anticipated. Whereas with most of the main stream secret layers, stuff like uh, the Optimus Megatron, Darksteel, uh, Blightsteel Colossus drop, you know, you're going to see bricks of those on TCG Player, 50 copies, 60 copies, 100 copies from various vendors that mass crack them. And not every vendor had that option in Vegas because they weren't all there. So as you said, there are less of these online than there would be otherwise if this had been offered online. Also, um, you point out these are big in Japan. Is the artist uh, who did these, uh, or artists, I should say, are, are these uh, somebody of renown that I don't know of because I, I, I don't recall I, I don't recall off the top, but by the, but by the style of it, that's entirely possible. Uh, the other one that went up like that is Generous Gift Borderless from the same set. The foils went 25 to 70 in theory. Again, I'm a seller of all the cards in, involved here of the sealed sets because eventually the hype cycle will pass on. Uh, and ultimately, these are cards that have tons of versions in the low single-digit dollars. Uh, we have Indomitable Creativity, just regular copies, going 17 to 32. It's a modern and pioneer top eight staple at this point, amazingly enough. It's not a card I think most people had flagged for that when it was first released. These were extremely cheap. You could get these under 2 or $3 at one point in huge lots that nobody would have cared about. And if you did that up front, you would be in very, very sexy position now. <laughs> 20 times, 25 times, 30 times return, something like that. Probably before all is said and done and they get a reprint. Yeah, that's uh, that that's money in the bank if you can go back and, and plan on that. Distinguished Conjurer out of Jumpstart 2022 uh, went jumped from 150 to 325. It's only in 2,800 decks on EDH Rec. It's the sixth most played card in there. And this smells to me like somebody who goes through those stats and tries to pick out the gem, the diamonds in the rough that are going to be worth more later. I don't think Jumpstart 2022 sold particularly well. I don't think that there are a ton of the playable cards lying around. So somebody might just be thinking that they're going to sell them on direct at $4.99 down the road or something. Yeah, I think I just bought one of these for my cube, actually, my uh, my Uncommons only cube. It's, it's a pretty a, solid card, right? Because It's a neat it's, card. It does two really good things. Basically a, uh, what's the 1-1 one, one white? Soul, the Soul Warden. Soul Warden. It's basically a Soul Warden for two that lets you flicker things to get CIP triggers. Yep. Yeah. Solid card. Uh, surge Foils. I mean, could we have a 2023 discussion of top paper movers without talking about some Surge Foils? This week they went after <laughs> Living Death and Mutilate. I like the Living Death one. There's not a lot of versions of Living Death. 
Uh, those went 10 to 20 in theory, and the Mutilate foils went 225 to 7. I like that less. Shining Shoal foils 9 to 25 on the back of the Mono White Modern deck, uh, as we discussed. Phyresis Outbreak, uh, $1 to $3. This is from the Commander deck products for All Will Be One. That's going to be on Poison popularity in EDH and, and the interactions this has in the decks that run black to deliver Poison Canters. Don't think I love this one. I think it's probably likely to fade. Top of the heap this week is Grateful Apparition out of War of the Spark. Foils from 5 to $20, apparently. This is a 1-1 Flying Proliferator uh, and certainly has plenty of Poison popularity to lean into. And if you opened War of the Spark boxes or Japanese War of the Spark boxes, I'll guarantee you you have one of these sitting around. And you should absolutely pull that out and sell it and get back a chunk of your your uh, base cost. Yeah, because War of the Spark was the last set before they goosed the foil rates. It was the last set before yep. Throne of Eldraine, and they started uh, doing collector boosters. So there's no fancy version of this to chase yet, but uh, I imagine at some point we'll get a secret layer, Proliferate, which has uh, this, Thrumming Bird, and two other cards that I don't know about yet. Top Magic Online Movers of the Week, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, big, big card in the Reed Duke Pro Tour creativity deck. Big card all over the place, really. And copies in ticket cost have gone from about 30 ticks to almost 50 ticks, 61% gains this week. S-tier multi-format play. Hallbreaker Horror seeing a whole bunch of standard play, 2.4 ticks to 4.5, 86% gains. And then All Will Be One, which has showed up in both a red-green combo deck in Modern, and I think sees a overall greater amount of play in standard uh, 0.89 ticks to 3.65 that's 300 percent plus gains for people that went in early on those uh all will be one we mentioned last week too so uh it has really been uh riding that hype up and down so uh i would probably be selling you know in print mythics or uh a dime a dozen on online especially if it's still getting opened under a uh, heavy rotation but it's good to know that there are cool combos that you can do with this it's hard to say i mean if a, if a mythic does is a four of in standard for the whole season it could easily push up over 20 ticks but if it falls out of the meta and it's not being played anywhere else other than that pretty fringe modern deck then yeah i would expect it to collapse i think that um this will always this will end up spiking a tournament every now and then because it's two enchantments uh, so you got to have the counter spell ready to go for that, but a lot of creature based decks won't have a answer necessarily for it, especially because like uh, Quest for Pure Flame is just one mana, right? I'm pretty sure yeah. it's one mana. Yeah. So you just the, like bang, bang, go. There are a lot of decks that have incidental hate against enchantments that are intended to target uh, artifacts or aimed at Urza sagas. Um, you know things like Haywire Might and what what have you out of the board. Haywire might, yeah, that's going to do a lot of ancillary damage. All right, moving over to segment three, cards to watch. I'm going to jump in on this mono white deck with the non-foil Shining Shoals, not a card that gets uh, reprints all that often. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's been very few indeed. Let me just double check how many it was. Well, it's only gotten a single printing, and one of the printings is banned in modern uh, Blazing Shoal because it's too good in Infect. Yeah, Betrayers of Kamigawa, so it's almost a 20-year-old card here. And you can still pick up non-foil copies around $2. Uh, 
I would imagine we could pretty easily see those get up to 10 if this deck keeps charging. But it's an all eggs in one basket spec. If this mono white deck disappears and nobody ever buys it in paper, this isn't going to go anywhere. But the foils drained out very fast because there was, wasn't that many of those to begin with just from collectors of magic mm-hmm. sets picking up copies here and there. Uh, the regulars, there are more out there for sure that will come out of bulk boxes if this surges. So I would be not going super deep on this and being look, you know, looking to get out quickly on the hype around this deck. Uh, what you really need to happen here is three or four other streamer pilots start picking it up and somebody spikes a challenge with it um, a couple more times. And then I would imagine you're going to see some movement. I mean, this is very straightforward and uh, it's riding on what's new. I think this is totally valid. Uh, like you said, there's not a lot. Um, Betrayers was the middle set of Kamigawa, right? Because Saviors was last. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And Saviors so, was quite bad. Because Saviors was quite bad. Um, remember that um, there are half as many Betrayers, copies of a Betrayers rare, as there is compared to a Champions of Kamigawa rare because of how they were opening packs in draft seasons back then. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, you'd go three packs of Kamigawa of Champions and then uh, two packs of Champions and one pack of Betrayers and then one of each when Saviors came out. So there's a tiny amount of these things around, and I think that it doesn't take a lot of demand to get it up there. So uh, good call on this. This I didn't know that the non-foils were still this cheap. All right. Tell me about your first, first selection this week. Uh, I'm diving in on some of the things that we've talked about actually a couple times in these decks. Uh, Season Pyromancer from Double Masters 2. It's down to 15 bucks, and this was a card from Modern Horizons 1 that was $55 before it got reprinted. So it's been a while since Double Masters 2. Uh, there's a lot of vendors, but nobody has like a giant wall of them. And like a lot of different decks want this card because of the filtering that it does for you. So I think that picking them the regular non-foils up for 15 and with a target of them going to 30 sometime in the next year to 18 months, it seems pretty solid to me. We don't know of any particular product where this would be a fit. If they're doing reprints in the Lord of the Rings set, this doesn't seem like uh, a likely inclusion because we just got it last summer. The It's been twice already in four years, which seems plenty. The price point doesn't justify, doesn't give them a big EV boost or anything. So I think this one gets left alone for the rest of this year. It is seeing heavy enough play. You don't see it at top in the top eight all that often in the challenges, but there are, I see tons of decks on stream that happen to be running it, and it does show up in the top eight here and there. So the the odds that this is going to make some gains seem high to me. I don't know if it's going to be 20, 25, or 30 within the year, but the inventory isn't ultra super deep at present. There is uh, probably still Double Masters product floating around that can continue to be cracked, so that's worth factoring in. But otherwise, I think this is looking pretty good. The The other thing is that overall, Goldfish has this as the 25th most played card in the format, which is a pretty strong stat. 17% of all decks online running it and t- tend to run about three copies. So that's a pretty good place to be for a mythic creature. And I think you might get there. I appreciate it. Tell me about this other one. I, I, this was not on my radar at all. 
There's a secret layer printing of Triumph of the Hordes, which gives Trample plus one plus one and infect all your creatures. Um, that prior to that had only had, I think, that printing and maybe the list or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a Fortnite skin reskin, which didn't appeal to me in the slightest. I didn't buy any of these. But this card is in 56,000 decks on EDH Rec and has pretty strong stats uh, in that format. It's from last summer as a secret layer. The inventory is not particularly deep. Some of it's already been eaten up by the recent Infect Toxic uh, hype cycle in Commander. And so to go after these at, say, 13 or so and hope to get to 25 within the year seems pretty likely to me. So the regular ones from New Phyrexia and the Mystery Booster versions, that's the one we were thinking of with the uh, Planeswalker symbol, those are both going for about $5 more. And that alone has me wanting to purchase a few copies when there's such a delta between like a more recent one and the the original, like I know what it can get to. And at that level of inclusion, like there are a lot of decks that just want every overrun effect they can. And while this isn't overrun, it might as well be. And it's for uh, that much less mana. So this seems like a real solid pick. Uh, I especially the, uh, the foils going in there. Um, yeah, I, I'm doubtful that they'll give us something as strong as this in Commander Masters, but we'll see. Alrighty, uh, what about your second selection? Uh, my other pick this week is uh, we know that there's slivers coming in the Commander de- the Commander Precons for Commander Masters. Uh, we've been told that we saw the art. Uh, everybody loves to guess about a sliver king. But uh, if you have played a sliver deck, you know that you want nothing more than the mana slivers. And there are two to choose from, Gemhide Sliver and Mana Weft Sliver. Only one of those has been getting the Secret Lair Borderless treatment. And so few people give a crap about that sliver that it's gone all the way down to $5 in Borderless Foil. Um, I'm going to wait about two days uh, after... This podcast goes live, and then I'm going to buy a bunch of them, even though nobody has a stack. Like, everybody has this uh, online in just ones and twos. Normally, I hate ordering in ones and twos because it's a bunch of things i got to unpack. But it'll be worth it in this case. Uh, I think that around the time the sliver hype happens, this will easily hit $15. It could go higher, but I'm being conservative here because the mana slivers are just ridiculous engines of absurdity in sliver decks. I think this is probably the cleanest pick of the week for us. Um, and it's worth flagging that a bunch of the other slivers are worth a look as well. Oh, People yeah. do need to be aware that they aren't all of equal rarity. Some of them that you're going to see at very high price points. I think the highest related card is the Sliver Hive foil extended art. It's over $200. Um, was hard to pull. And some of these are medium hard to pull. And some of them are very easy to pull. Um so it's very easy to pull 2 and $3 foil extended art slivers out of your secret layers these days, and some of them are closer to 15 to 20 All the ones that are auto-includes and five-color sliver builds that are sub-$5 are absolutely worth a look, and I think you bite a few of them off because, as you said, a Sliver King deck is likely to be very popular. People are going to be reaching to get premium versions. Original foils of a lot of those slivers are actually extremely pricey already. Yeah, because there are three other five-color sliver commanders that are already well-established in the format. This will presumably be the fourth, and I'm betting it's going to be a home run. 
So that means there is a lot of room for people to work with in building sliver decks and swapping out sliver commanders over time as they want to play with different play patterns. The fact that Wizards committed all of the slivers in foil extended art in the, through this distribution method suggests to me they're not going to do it anywhere else. Like, I don't think you're going to get fancy slivers in Commander Masters. Wouldn't that yeah. be a kick in the pants? It, it would be weird because... But I, I remember there was a distinct comment the other day that the four decks for Commander Masters are uh, from Gavin. He said something like that they are totally separate from the set. Something along those lines. That suggested to me that the themes of those decks are specifically not related to things you're going to find in the set. So if there's slivers in a deck with a, de- a sliver deck theme, the Sliver King, you're not going to get a bunch of slivers to support it in the main set. They're just going to be a bunch of good sliver reprints in the deck itself. Now, we'll see if that pl- plays true or if I misread that comment, um, but I suspect these foil arts are going to be, as you said, in in moderate to high demand when those decks drop. And people that got in early will probably do well. I agree. Uh, do you want to talk about our Discord pick? You want me to? We've got Kuji out of the Discord offering up Vanquish the Horde Silver Screen Foil. Silver Screen has been, as with Surge Foil, is a kind of go-to. It's an under-opened product that was much maligned. But some of those Silver Screen cards look pretty good in hand. And Vanquish the Hordes is in almost 60,000 decks on EDH Rec. You can pick these silver screen foil versions up for about 18. There isn't all that many left on platforms like TCG Player. So Kuji calls these to go 18 to 35 in about 12 months or so, which I think is a pretty reasonable call. I think so too. Vanquish the Horde is the one that gets cheaper for each creature in play. So it's pretty easy to just have two mana and uh, destroy all creatures in play and be able to replay uh, out what you want after the Wrath. Feels real good. Good pick, Kuji. Alrighty, let's move over to our weekly topic. People are all up in arms because early pricing has been posted for uh, mostly Commander Masters and also Lord of the Rings. There is uh, distributor pricing floating around where the collector booster boxes are being offered up to vendors at about 175 US. The Commander decks are being offered at 234, which is over almost $60 a deck. Now, keep in mind, most commander decks sell for either $40 or $50, and when they sell for $40, you would expect the vendors get them for something like mid-20s, would be my guess. Right. And so this is almost a 50% boost on these commander decks, which is part of why I think they're going to be pretty juiced. Like, you're going to get a Mana Weft sliver in that deck. It's just presumably going to be a non-foil regular. So that was my first question to you, is that we don't have any indication yet of uh, if they are doing, um, they're, they're clear, we know that the distributors are not being offered regulars and foils like they were with uh, Warhammer 40k. Not, not so, so far, I don't see that skew in the mix in any of the distributor to vendor offers, so I think these are, there's just four versions of these decks. I do right. think that they will do something like that again in the fall. Yes. But I don't like we know, we know there's a Doctor Who deck set coming out, so it's entirely possible that we're getting surge foils or something for Doctor Who. I personally, I'm not a huge uh, fan of that move. I don't think Doctor Who's going to have the draw that 40k did, um, but we'll see. 
Now, to finish this this price list, draft booster boxes pricing distributor to vendor two thirty eight, and set booster boxes at three twenty two. Now, I think these are prices probably most likely aimed. This quoted price set is probably aimed at smaller vendors. I would imagine the bigger vendors, your cool stuffs, your card kingdoms, your star cities, the big vendors in Europe, etc. Uh, have better access to better pricing. Wizards does have a special program for some of their biggest vendors that gives them pretty solid discounts. The, but these are still, you know, very high. To say to somebody, there's a master set we're putting out in August. Last master set, you were selling boxes in the low 200s when all was said and done. The base price on these is over 300, which means that the retail on them would be pushing 400. This is really high retail based on distributor pricing. It's crazy. Yeah. Has a lot of vendors saying, like, vendors in our Discord have commented that they don't think they're going to stock many of these set booster boxes because they think they're going to be hard to move at that price point and they don't want to get stock holding them. And because, they like, if they order 100 cases, that's a massive amount, right? Because every case, let's say every case is six right. boxes, that's $1,800 a case. So 100 cases is going to take you to $180,000. Your average small business LGS in the heartland of, of America does not have access to that kind of cash flow. So they would have to be very uh, tentative about what they would be willing to take on at these price points. This is clearly Wizards continuing the trend of pushing the Hasbro instructed line to boost profits without dragging sales down. They're testing waters. You get to vote with your wallet. There were boxes posted on Amazon that were $400. And my response to that is, do not jump. Even though Amazon will price match later and you can cancel, I'm confident that you're going to see prices significantly lower, closer to cost, as we get closer because some places are going to overorder or get more allocation than they're expecting. Because sometimes what happens is vendors will order, uh, whatever, 20 cases or something, thinking they're only going to be allocated 10. Right, and then they, they don't get, get their full allocation. Or, or they get more than they were expecting. Like they'll ask for 20 thinking that usually they get stiffed. So they're really, when they order 20, they're expecting that they're only going to have to pay for 10. But then they get allocated 15 and they got to pay for them. And so they're, somebody will be dumping those on eBay, TCG Player, etc. to recoup funds they didn't want to spend. Um, to make sure that they're not cash flow poor at the end of the month. It's so funny. That's exactly the thing that went down with Fallen Empires 30 years ago. And it's why like a bunch of places got out of magic is because the, I, I remember like every everybody ranting about this way back in the day. But um, with these, with the distributors, I'm sorry, with the vendors, um, they don't know what's in these uh in these sets yet correct they haven't gotten any information about that they just know that their distributors have been told what the pricing is by wizards the smaller vendors have all just seen the preview cards that all of us have seen like they know the ur dragon's coming they know that that you're getting jeweled lotus as a reprint etc and they know that there's going to be serialized cards in here so there's going to be like one of presumably one of 500 jeweled lotuses or whatever it seems like a good bet yeah the 500 and and so those are going to those are going to add significant value to these boxes in terms of um, people wanting to play the lottery and chase them. The the thing is that the you know there was this other news this week 
about somebody at a landfill in Texas discovering a pallet, so hundreds of thousands of dollars, of Modern Horizons 2 product that had been dumped, just thrown in the garbage. The presumption is that this is product from Cardamundi, since the main factory for Wizards of the Coast product in North America is in Texas, uh, outside Houston, if I'm not mistaken. Or it could be from, I think it's called MJ Holdings, which is like a big um, operator of trading card game distribution and rack jobbing for big box stores in the U.S., which is basically like the TCG sections of a lot of big box stores, your Targets, your Walmarts, etc., are often not stocked by store employees. They are stocked by rack jobbers, which are contractors that work for some centralized company that will bring their van over, check what's missing off the shelf, restock it with a fresh product, and then leave. And they usually take pictures and do scans and run stats and whatever. Um, I've got friends that, that work in that industry. So it's unclear who exactly was doing the dumping, but it does confirm something that we've talked about in our Discord before, that which is that magic product does get destroyed from time to time when they make too much of it and it doesn't fully sell out. And it, it's interesting that in this case, it's not, say, something like Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate or Double Feature, you know, products that we are well aware of having not sold well. It's Modern Horizons 2, which sold exceedingly well, but apparently not better than the actual print run because somebody decided it was cheaper to throw a bunch of it out than try to sell it. Which is a pretty wild decision. Like, it it does cost a certain amount of money to get everything to uh, stores. You know, vendors might uh, have said, you know, I'm... I can't take on any more Modern Horizons 2. You know, fetch lands have gotten ridiculously cheap as it is. Uh, clearly, they made a whole lot of Modern Horizons 2 because that stuff was still, like, going down in price six months, one year later after it was released. So I'm not I'm not surprised that it was Modern Horizons 2. That I'm not that surprised. Now, we should add some context, right? Because if this was 400 pallets, that's a pretty healthy chunk of the inventory. One pallet, when they made hundreds of pallets, really isn't that big a deal. Like, that doesn't prove, oh, Modern Horizons 2 was a failure, in the slightest. What it proves is, somebody had one more pallet than they thought they could unload. Now, that could have been Wizards, where they, where they you know, as they did with the 30th anniversary packs, they absolutely printed thousands more of those than have actually hit the wild, and presumably have now destroyed them. Because they don't want those to end up being, I paid I, I paid a thousand and I, I have to sell them for six hundred. They want to protect the ultra premium potential for a better high end product down the road. And in the case of Modern Horizons two, if they make that decision, it's okay. The distributors aren't willing to take any more on. We have these sitting in a warehouse. We don't want to store these. So, and the incremental cost of printing more cards is always very low for them. You know what I'm saying? Like the the when you're on any print run the design of the set the testing of the set the marketing of the set the initial setup at production level for the set it's all very costly but the incremental cost of printing the last one percent of cards is very low in the grand scheme of things and so to the, from their perspective the actual cost printed is trivial but the write-off 
don't quote me, I'm not an accountant, but my understanding would be the write-off could be at the valuation of the product as opposed to the printing cost of the product, which means there could be a tax benefit to destroying the product. There's that. Uh, I also thought when I saw this, um, somebody, in t- it's entirely possible that it being a, a single pallet, that something was mislabeled, uh, something was, uh, you know, mis- Maybe. You know, it could be an error and just like, oh my God, we just found this other pallet of stuff. And like, rather than go reopen- <laughs> They were supposed the- to throw out Fallen Empires from 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, they were, whatever the case may be, but they just decided it is less work for us to just chuck it and write it off at, rather than try and uh, reopen channels that they'd used for this in some way. I, I would not- go so far as to say that like that is impossible either here's the thing i'm not uh i think it's very likely that it was intentional that they threw out mh2 um because they it was such a mega hit set they went back to the presses a few times and on the final print they probably didn't know exactly how much to print they got it a little wrong or somebody took on a little too much and here we go there's a pallet in the in the dumpster however I find it extremely suspicious that somebody just stumbled upon this. Like, what are the odds that a guy that just happens to work at or is walking around in a trash yard in Texas knows magic, identifies it from a distance, walks up, starts cracking packs, and then goes on Reddit to report it? That, to me, seems like a real stretch. And it would not at all surprise me if there was actually an inside job. I have heard tall tales in the industry before about product that was supposed to be destroyed, but was actually sold out the back door. And I would not at all be surprised if this was more like my buddy works at this thing. He tips some other dude off that if he goes to the, the trash yard on Wednesday, he's going to find this pallet if he looks around and then lo and behold, he finds it. And if the local laws say you can pick trash, then he is in a position really to crash the market on MH2 singles <laughs> because a full pallet's worth is quite a lot of product. And that's a whole bunch of copies of Fury and Solitude and Ragavan and the whole nine. Um, so we'll have to, it'd be interesting to see what happens with that if there's any follow-up uh, but the way that it was reported on Reddit just threw up my alarm bells as something something's up here. Um, but just to double back, if something like MH2 can end up in the trash yard at some point, and, you know, as you said, fetches didn't do nearly as well in premium form as people expected them to. My best answer to why that happened is saturation, that most of the people that needed fetches have them, and they're also much more easy to replace with other dual lands now than they were 10 years ago. Um, whereas things like Solitude and Fury have no substitute and they've done extremely well as banner mythics from the set. Okay, I see that. Uh, uh, and even something like Subtlety, which is mostly played in like Crashing Rhinos, you know, got to a, a very solid low and then bounced and got a, a really nice gain within six months. So if that's all true of MH2, it can probably also be true of Commander Masters. And if they overestimate the market's willingness to absorb these new higher price points, then and the set undersells versus what it would have if it was 30% cheaper, then A, there will be people dumping some boxes if they can't unload them. 
and they'll be dumping them at or below cost. So you're probably going to get some pretty good deals two to three months out from the release. That might not be true of collector booster boxes, depending. Typically, those are are four packs in Commander uh, Masters, right? Same as they were with Double Masters 2022. Yeah. But they're, they're not four 15-card packs. They'll be four stacked packs. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, yeah. they, they, they drive, they tend to, if you crack 2022, it's a pretty good exper- cracking experience overall if you hit a couple of good, good things. Because in any given one of those four packs, you might pull four or five very solid $10 to $50 plus cards, right? Um, and I suspect it'll be the same kind of thing here. So I'm not worried about four packs versus 12. I am ver- worried about 15 to 30% price increases um, in in terms of what it will do to the market's willingness to absorb said product and whether that means grabbing the sealed product up front is a big mistake. I can tell you that the Amazon pricing as currently posted is a huge mistake. They've been tricky with this because they know how people interpret Amazon pricing. There is a tendency for Americans to assume that if a price is on Amazon, it's the lowest price. But that has increasingly not been true, not just with Magic product, but just with Amazon product, period. Amazon actually plays a little game where they have really good deals on stuff pretty much con- very consistently, but it's not always the same stuff, and it's n- and everything is not a good deal. There are many indication- and many times where you can get the same thing at Walmart or Target or somewhere else for less. Amazon is, you know, sets up spent years building this perception that they're the cheapest so that people won't price check them. But if you do price check them, you will find that it varies. And likewise with Magic, when they first started selling a lot of Magic sealed product through Amazon as a partner a couple years back, their initial pricing tended to be market low pricing and vendors were complaining pretty heavily about that. These days, they tend to lead with a very high price, or they have a very low price for a very short period of time, then they scale up based on demand. If it's selling well, they keep pushing the price higher and higher, and then later they drop the price back down towards market. And then later, later, you might end up seeing it as a Black Friday sale for some extreme discount like uh, SNC CBs at $125 or $130 or $140 or something instead of $200 plus. So I I suspect we're going to see some of that here again. And as such, I would ignore the Amazon pricing completely and look at more things, you know, what is the very aggressive online vendors like Game Nerds, MVP Sports and Games, you know, what is CSI, SCG and Card Kingdom at that kind of middle of the market price point seem to be establishing the, the anchor at. What, what can pro traders get it at through our vendor partners, which will be some of the most appealing pricing available on the planet, I would imagine, given how much volume we order. Just to finish up the point, but in the end, if the, pro- if the product undersells, we have seen the impact of that before. When they didn't have enough Commander Legends, cards skyrocketed fast. That's how Jeweled Lotus got $100 plus and the Foil Extended Arts got $500 plus within the first six months. When they didn't have enough 40k surge foils, that spiked and was an easy target for speculators. If they undersell something like the 30th anniversary booster packs, that's how you end up with a bunch of quote-unquote proxies that are selling for more than revised and or CEIE versions of those cards. And in some cases are pushing up over unlimited versions of the cards. So if you have less supply in the market than was expected for whatever reason, underprinting or underselling, 
prices can spike. I was going to say that um, I'm not surprised they're cranking the price on this, mainly because uh, Commander Legends collector boosters and draft boosters, honestly, uh, were one of the few like sealed products to really like spike hard afterwards. And it wasn't just the uh, jeweled lotuses of things. A lot of things in that set were valuable. And uh, that was also the first set where I actually had to calculate the math of everything because they had the one slot that had a 30% chance of being foil and then uh, even lower chance of like full art uh, mythic foil. So I think that, um, well, actually, I was going to ask you in one minute or less, if you can, like, do they look at how sealed product does after release in order to inform other similar releases for sure like there's there is one or more people that work at wizards of the coast who's who were trained as economists um or product pricing specialists and whose sole job is basically to track how product flows through, through their distribution channels what regions it does better or worse in and predict how much of it they can sell the next time and at what price point. Um, All right. So currently you've got Lord of the Rings collector boosters, which is 12 boosters, not four, plus a box topper going for 384 on Amazon. I would guess that is somewhere between 10 and $75 too much. But I don't think you're going to see $200 Lord of the Rings CBs because the compare people need to remember the Lord of the Rings set is not a standard set. It is a basically Modern Horizons three, as far as we understand it. Whether or not the cards will end up being at all at that level or not remains to be seen. There were some leaks today for Lord of the Rings that showed off some fairly strong cards. We can probably talk about those next week, I guess. Um, for now, I'm in a holding pattern on all the on all this. I want to talk to more vendors. I want to check out more pricing. I want to see what the the vendors in the highest uh, tier program with Wizards are getting their product for, and what their best price is going to be via Pro Trader and elsewhere. And then we'll have a better sense of what's going on. Bottom line: Wizards is trying to squeeze more more blood from the stone. If people close their wallets, then it will send the right signal. But the, that will also mean that the key cards from these sets will get pricey in a hurry. That's a, that's a good way to, to wrap that up. I like that, James. Uh, where can people find you online? Folks, you can find me online on Twitter uh, at MGG Critic, and also haunting the Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, hopefully on the products we just talked about, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns, help you network, and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, uh, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, good talk today, James. I can't wait. Do uh, you think we'll get some more uh, leaks? I hope so. I-, I would imagine there probably will be some more leaks in the interim, so we will catch you all next week to see what's up. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, listeners. We will see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.